Okay, so uh, we've been traveling with Paul through his second missionary journey. Uh, last week, he, we saw him up here in Thessalonica, right? There was people there who did not want to hear Paul's message, and they, they kind of chased him out of town. Paul traveled down to Berea, which is about 60 miles. And what did we find out about the church there? They were people who heard what God's word said. They listened to it, and they checked it out to see if it was really true. And then they changed their life based off of it. Well, Paul wasn't exactly accepted. There, The people from Thessalonica traveled down that 60 miles and tried to stop Paul from pre preaching his message. And so Paul gets all the way down here, all the way to the city of Athens, where he continues his ministry uh, while Timothy and Silas are uh, up in Berea. So Paul's down in uh, Athens waiting for them to join him. So that's kind of where we're at. That's the location. That's the only time you're going to see that map today. But so try to keep in your mind, this is where Paul's at in relation to the other people that he started this missionary journey with. So Paul gets down there to Athens. And guess what Paul does? Paul does what Paul does. He, he goes into the synagogue and he starts preaching the name of Jesus and he starts sharing Jesus with everybody. Athens is known as one of the most religious places of the earth at that time. And Paul goes there and he's alarmed. He's concerned about what he's seeing with all these idols. And his goal is to try to reach them with the message of Jesus. That's where we're going to be picking up our message today. But first, let me pray and ask God's blessing on it. I thank you, God, for your word. I thank you for the truth of it. I thank you for Paul's example, that he loved you so much, God, that he set aside his own feelings and concerns and, and was able to go talk to anybody about Jesus at any time. God, I, I know that we have concerns and thoughts in our minds, and I just pray that we could set those aside to hear exactly from you who you want us, what you want us to hear. I pray that I would not stumble over my words. I pray that it would come out clearly and accurately, and that you would just give us all a life-changing message uh, through what you have me share today. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So for a moment, only a moment, I want you to think about something in your life that concerns you. What's something in your life that causes you worry, causes you stress, causes you to stay up late at night? Right? Everybody's got something. You know, maybe it's maybe it's the moisture that wow we got last night unexpectedly. Uh, maybe that is something that concerns you. I, I realize it is a genuine concern. So in these examples, I am not trying to belittle in any which way because I know moisture is a big concern. Maybe it's the world problems. You know, you think about the war over in Russia and Ukraine and how that affects America and affects Christians over there and it affects the economy and who's, who do we know that might have to go fight and all these decisions that are going to be made that are going to be life-changing. That's a very big concern in our world today. Maybe it's just something as simple as the people sitting around me. My family are a concern. You know, my, my kids are getting older. You know, they're going to be, they're making their own decisions. They're driving cars. They're getting jobs. They're, they're going off to college or maybe they're already at college. Or maybe people aren't getting along in my family. And I want to try to intercede for that. I mean, whatever family dynamics there are, we can feel concerned about that. Or even this corny picture of, about a job. <laughs> you know, uh, we all have jobs or we've, we've had jobs. We understand the concerns about that. You know, maybe job's not going so well. Maybe I want a different job. Uh, what am I doing in your know, life? Like, like my life is not working at my job and it doesn't look like it's going to keep going. I have concern. Do I need to move and go do something else? Right. We, we all have concerns one way or another 
that keep us awake at night, that cause us to wonder, to worry. Um, well, for Paul, his concern wasn't those things. He wasn't worried about the moisture. He didn't really have family to deal with. He, he wasn't worried about the job. Paul was concerned for the lost. Uh, to be concerned for the lost is um, to have severe emotional concern. You know, Paul, when he went to Athens, that's how he felt. He, he felt he took those feelings that you have for moisture and concern for your families and concern for a job, and he that all was bottled up inside of him as something else. Paul's concern was for the lost. It says in Acts 17, 16, while Paul was waiting for them in Athens, he was greatly distressed to see that the city was full of idols. It bothered him. Now, he just he just got kicked out of one town. He got chased out of town, running for his life. All of a sudden, he's back there by himself in this new location. He doesn't have a food source. He doesn't have location. He doesn't have friends who say, I got your back, Paul. He's in a brand new place, and he's not concerned about himself. He's not thinking about what am I going to get or what's going to happen to me me, his concern is for the lost, for those who don't know Jesus as a Savior. So Paul did what Paul does. Uh, verse 17 says, he reasoned in the synagogues with the Jews and the God-fearing Greeks, as well in the marketplace, day by day with those who happened to be there. So he went to the synagogue, which was his usual Jew Jewish custom, was to go and try to talk to the people there. He reasoned with them, right? Last week we saw that this is teaching in the synagogue. It's like the preaching in that, in that kind of of um, context. He's explaining it. Hey, hey, this is what scripture says. Guys, pay attention. This is what you need to know. And then he's he's using scripture and he's saying, look, this is where I got this from. I didn't make this up. This isn't Paul's word. This is God's word that I'm trying to explain to you. And he's trying to explain to these religious people who believe in God, who are in a church type situation, that the Messiah that they're looking for is in fact Jesus. He did come. He did die on the cross and he did rise again so that they could have salvation. So within the context of the synagogue, Paul has concern. He's going and he's talking to them there. But out and about, in the context of, context of everywhere else, else in Athens, he's going to talk to people about Jesus. Whoever would listen, Paul's developing a conversation, a dialogue with them to share the good news about Jesus. And it says here, that in verse 18, he says, a group of Epicurean and Stoic philosophers began to dispute with him. Some of them asked him, what is this babbler trying to say? Others remarked, he seems to be advocating foreign gods. They said this because Paul was preaching the good news about Jesus and the resurrection. So you have two groups of philosophers. You have the Epic Epicurean and the Stoic philosophers. I'm not a philosopher. I don't know anything about philosophy. Um, I did take a philosophy class in college. I, I don't know how I passed it. It was like the lowest college grade I got. Uh, so I don't have any wisdom on philosophy. Uh, these guys, I had to look up, what do these guys even believe? Anybody, anybody know what the Epicurean and Stoics believe? Just by chance? Good. We're all on the same page. Okay. So the Epicureans, some of what they believed was they believed death was the end. You died. You're like the bug. You're dead. That's it. But they also believed that God could exist. But if he does, he really doesn't care about what happens to creation. He's not really involved. Uh, I don't know if it's called deism, where, where God created the world and he just sits there and watches what happens. But that's kind of what they were like. The Stoics, they believed in pantheism. They believed that everything is God. You know, this is God. This is God. This, this chair, 
this is God, your cow's God, everything is a God. But they also believe that from time to time, the world just kind of got balled up and got remade and got started over again. That's kind of what the, the belief that they had. And so when Paul starts talking about this, about how Jesus died and rose again, of course they're going to think he's crazy because this is in direct contradiction to what they are believing already. And so they think he's crazy. And so they, they I think they, they take him to a place to try to make fun of him, to try to cause him embarrassment, probably try to shut him up. Uh, they went to a place called... Um, the Areopagus or Mars Hill, if you've heard of that word, and it was a place up on a hill where they would take and they would try uh, murder cases, homicide cases, and that's, it was kind of like a, a select few people went there, and then you had, of the select few, you had about a 30 people court system that would, that would listen to the to the trial and they would like make their decision and Paul's getting brought up there. He doesn't, he's not worthy of death. He's not on his way to get there. But these, this is kind of like the moral mountain where people would go for, for moral cases. And Paul was up there. He's one of the most religious places and amongst just a select few people. And Paul has probably a lot of reason to be concerned for where he's at. But Paul's not concerned. All he does is take advantage of the opportunity to share the message of Jesus. And we're going to look at that just in a little bit. But where did this all start? It all started with concern for the lost. It all started with a severe emotional concern for the people around them. Paul is not the only person who should have concern for the lost. You and I should have concern for the lost. It may be not the same degree where there's this severe emotional attachment to people, but there should be some degree in our life of concern about the people that we know that don't know about Jesus. Think about your neighbor that just moved in. Concern for them. Are we just happy to let them walk their kids to school every day and that's it? And they're not the only new people in town. There's new people in the country, I'm assuming. I don't really know. But in, in Baker, there are new people who are coming and people who are leaving. But do we have concern about our neighbors? Do we have concern about the people that we have always known? You know, the people you always see at the basketball games, the people that you see at the rodeos, the people that you see walking around town, the people that you see at the marketplace or the store. Do we have any kind of concern for them? Where they're going to go? Or what about the guy who lives in a jungle across the continent who has no idea what simple things are? He doesn't know what glass is. He has no idea what electricity is. He's never heard of the name of Jesus. Do we have any kind of concern for those people? Do we care what happens to them? We all know what it means to, to have concern because we, we can pick out something in our life and say, I have concern. And by the end of this message, we're going to have a, a suggestion to how to get concerned if you're really not feeling concerned. Because sometimes you hear, you hear about situations and it's like, I, I can't just develop this concern inside of me. So we're going to address that as well. But just starting out now, can you look at yourself and say, yeah, I'm concerned about the guy over the seas, the neighbor that I've always known or the person who just moved in. Paul was concerned for the lost. And so Paul used that concern to motivate him to action. 
Paul's goal was to make the unknown known. It says in verse 22 and 23, as you see up on the screen, Paul stood up at the meeting of the Areopagus and said, Men of Athens, I see that in every way you are very religious. He says, For as I walked around and I looked carefully at your objects of worship, I even found an altar with the inscription to an unknown God. Now what you worship is something that's unknown. I'm going to proclaim to you. Now I look at that and I say, Man, these guys have... Uh, Something I don't know what you would call it, but whether the fact is that they have gods that they worship, they're very religious to have gods that they worship. But then we're going to try to cover all our bases. You know, any other possible god that's out there, I mean, it sounds exhausting to me. Right? If I know that the sun god wants this, and I know that this god wants that, fine. But then you're just trying to have all these plethora of gods that, where you don't even know who they are, what they want, and they're still trying to worship them. That to me is just exhausting. But that's how they were. They were worshiping. Whatever God they thought was out there in order to keep um, that God happy, to keep that God satisfied. Uh, the belief goes back about 600 years. Anybody recognize what those are? Sheep, right? Very simple. Um, I, I look for black and white sheep, and I got a sheep with black on his face and a bunch of white sheep. So, uh, But the belief goes back 600 years prior that there was a terrible disease or pestilence that came upon the whole city. And all of a sudden, everybody's freaked out. They're, we're worshiping our gods, and look what's happening to us. There must be a god out there that is not as happy. And we've got to figure out this god, and we've got to, to worship this god. So somebody, it was a poet, said, why don't we grab a bunch of sheep? black and white ones and we'll let them run around wherever the sheep lays down we'll sacrifice it if it's near a god we're going to sacrifice it to that god because it's obviously connected to it and if there's it, it die it lays down right here and there's no god around we're going to just sacrifice this and we're going to make a statue to the unknown god uh, so that's why they had numerous gods there had numerous unknown gods just wherever the sheep laid down that's where they created another god very, very religious. And Paul's using this opportunity to say, look, you guys got it all wrong. Right? There's not all these unknown gods that you are trying to worship. Uh, there, there's just one. And Paul goes into this, this next passage and he starts to kind of debunk some of what they believe, uh, these, these philosophers. He says, first of all, verses 24 to 25, he says, the God who made the world and everything in it is the Lord of heaven and earth and does not live in temples built by human hands. He does not serve by human hands as if he needed anything because he himself gives all men life and breath and everything else. So he's saying, look, you guys think that there's multitudes of gods that you have to try to worship. Well, I'm just telling you, there's just one. And he's actually the one who created everything. There's not a sun god. There's not a water god. There's not a uh, fertility god. There's not all these gods. There's actually just one god that we, we need to follow, that we need to worship. So he's destroying this pantheistic view that I think the Stoics had and saying there is just one god. And he's the god who created everything. Then verse 26 to 28, he says, this God is actually a caring God. Uh, he says, from one man, he made every nation of men that they should inhabit the whole earth. And he determined the time set for them and the exact places where they should live. God did this so that men would seek him and perhaps reach out to him and find him, though he's not very far from each one of us. For in him, we live and move and we have our being 
That's the kind of God that this one God is that Paul is talking to or uh, talking about. And here he's destroying or he's, he's debunking the Epicurean belief that God doesn't care. Right? God might be out there, but he doesn't really care. He's saying, no, God is out there. He created everything and he really does care. You know, think about the time period that you're living in. God put you here for a reason. He didn't put me back in the 1500s. He didn't put me back in the Bible times. He put me in today in 2022. Why? Because it says uh, this is the place where I am most likely to reach out to him. God is always there. He's always speaking. But he says this is this is the time period of life that I need to put Josh because he's, he may not reach out to me at some other point. God said, this is the ideal spot for Josh. God's not going to make me choose him. He's not going to make me turn to him. But he says, this is the spot where Josh needs to be in order for Josh to turn to Jesus to, to, for salvation. He, he, he allows us to move. He allows us to have our beings. He has control, right? He's not a guy who just said, wow, let, let's go. I'm bored on Friday night. What am I going to do? I'm going to spend time watching New York. Well, Saturday night, let's watch Miami. And boy, let's see what's happening on in Africa on Thursday afternoon, right? He's not that kind of God. He's, he's involved. He brings the rain like we experienced last night. He gives us life. He gives us breath. And all these things are from a God who cares. And Paul's trying to convince these people that this is the God that you need to serve. Not all these idols, not this multiple of idols. There's just one God. Isn't that a lot easier? I'm trying to follow one God and what he wants me to do as opposed to an innumerable number of gods. Then he goes on to say in verse 30, that God is patient. In the past, God overlooked such ignorance, but now he commands all people everywhere to repent. In the past, you know, people were worshiping idols and God didn't zap them immediately on the spot. In the Old Testament, there were people who were committing sins and God didn't, when they died, God didn't send them directly to hell. Those who put their faith in Jesus, who were, were the, or put their trust in God, were the people who made atonement for their sins. Remember we talked about how the animal died and that blood was sprinkled and God, it was like a blood it was a covering and God looked and said you know what because those people are putting blood there they're admitting that they are guilty and that's the punishment that they deserve and he's overlooking that until the time of Jesus when the, the blood of Jesus ultimately washed and forgave and got rid of that sin that these people had and so God didn't immediately send people to hell well, they're worshiping false idols God didn't like zap 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 he was willing to for, wait you know he, he was willing to wait um Till, they, till, the, till the time of Paul, when they were hearing this message about Jesus. But God is a patient God. He's, he's not a God who's not involved. He's a God who cares. But he also says that our, this God is a just God. One day, this God is going to punish sin. Verse 31 says, for he has set a day when he will judge the world with justice by the man he has appointed. He has given proof of this to all men by raising him from the dead. God is going to demand an accounting for our actions. If, we, if we're trusting in our good works, we're going to stand before God, before the white throne judgment, and have the opportunity to say, hey, look what I did. God, isn't that good enough? And God's going to say, no way. Go to hell. That's where you're going. But you say you stand there before God and say the blood of Jesus. I, I trusted Jesus for, for my salvation. God's going to look and say, "Good, well done, good and faithful servant. Here's the a paradise that's stored up for you. Here's salvation. Here's heaven." 
But so he's saying, God is just. At some point, you're going to have to decide, am I going to rely on myself or am I going to rely on Jesus for salvation? He says, you got to repent. You've got to turn from following these false idols and you've got to make the choice to turn to Jesus. And I know Paul did a much better job. Paul went way more in depth over his sermon. He gave much more convincing proofs for why they, why they should turn to Jesus. And it all comes back down to what Paul was teaching in the first place. It was uh, in verse 18, he says what Paul was preaching, the good news about Jesus and the resurrection from the dead. Paul was made a full circle and says, you guys know this is true because Jesus rose from the dead. And so Paul's giving all these arguments. He's convincing them to turn to Jesus. Now, what, what was the response by the people? Well, some people, because they were Epicurean and Stoic and wanted to believe what they wanted to believe, they, they teased Paul. They jeered at him. They sneered at him. They thought what he's saying is a bunch of hooey. They were just like the uh, Thessalonians. They didn't, they didn't check it out, which they're not going to accept the scripture for what it is, but they weren't accepting what they were hearing. They were just saying, this is what I grew up knowing, and this is what I'm going to die believing. And so they're making fun of Paul. But then there were people who thought, I wonder if what Paul's saying is really true. They, they had thoughtful, they, they thought about what he was saying. They, they considered, they were asking questions because they really genuinely wanted to know what was this message? Where was this ultimately going to lead? And then there were people who put their faith in Jesus on the spot. They heard the message that Paul was saying and they believed it. It says, uh, in verse 32 to 34, when they heard about the resurrection, some of them sneered, but others said, we want to hear um, again about the subject. And the, at that, Paul left the council and a few men became followers of Paul and believed. Among them were Dionysius, a member of the Areopagus, and also a woman named Demarius and a number of others. So Paul got taken to this hill where a very special spot, all the very intellectual, moral people, and Paul was willing to talk to all of them. Some made fun of him, some questioned, and some believed. But it all started with a concern for people. And it all started, and then it followed with taking advantage of the opportunity that God gave him to talk to these people about Jesus. And that's the change that came about for it. Now, I want to ask you, well, how, do, how do you feel about Paul? How do you feel with, with yourself? Are you, do you try to make the unknown known? You know, there's a lot of people out there that we know that don't know the name of Jesus, or if they do know the name of Jesus, they don't understand the name of Jesus. Are we the kind of people who are going to try to help them understand? Because it's not our job to save anybody. Right? My job is to just share Jesus, whether it's in the pulpit, whether it's outside with my neighbors, whether it's at the school, whether, wherever I'm at, my job is, Josh, is to share Jesus with people. But it is not my job to save anybody. A lot of pressure just fell off my shoulders. Uh, the Holy Spirit is the one who convicts people that they're a sin in need of a Savior. John 16, verse 8. It's the Holy Spirit's job to convict people. Not mine. I, you know, you think about uh, if, you, if you're a teacher or if you're a parent with a kid and you, you try to explain to your kids that they're wrong about something and you try and try and try and they don't get it. They don't want to. <laughs> 
You know, I'm telling you, you know, here's the punishment, but I can't convince you that you're wrong. That's not my job. The Holy Spirit is the one who's going to convict people of sin. The God the Father, His job is to draw people. John 6, 44, He draws people to Himself. That's not my job. I have nothing charismatic or charisma about me to draw me to anybody to me about anything, right? Let alone the message of Jesus. It is not my job to make people interested. That is God's job. My job is just to open up my mouth and just talk. You know, God, the God that we have is a God who wants to be known. He wants people to, to know him. Now you think about uh, general revelation, whatever you see outside, the fact that it rained last night, the fact that we breathe, the fact that we, uh, our bodies heal, you know, just any kind of thing like that is proof that God exists. And, it, and, there, and it's just creation screaming that God exists. And that's just through creation God shows us. But in... in uh, Ecclesiastes 3.11, that's one example where you find that God speaks directly to us and, and tries to say, hey, look, guys, I'm here. It says he has set eternity in the hearts of man. There's something about you. There's something about the world out there that says, I know this isn't all there is. There is not just life and then you die like a bug. And that's all. There's something in me that says there's got to be more. That's God telling you. That's why he's revealing himself to you that there is more. You've got to kind of search it out what that is but there's also special revelation God says you know what there's things about me you need to know that you're not going to know unless you see it in scripture you're not going to know that you what the penalty for sin is if you don't have scripture you're not going to know that Jesus is coming to be your savior without the scripture and there's gobs of ways in here where God makes his truth known but through scripture so we have a God who's not a God who's far away from us we have a God who's near to us a God who wants to be known a God who wants to have a relationship with us but he also wants a relationship with them with the people out there how are people going to respond when you share, share Jesus with them well some people are going to laugh in your face some people are going to want nothing to do with you great he's a Jesus person I'm just going to slowly ignore that person not invite him to the party not have them over whatever right they're going to just behind your back say Josh is just a Jesus thumper I don't want anything to do with that it's going to happen. So if you're if you're expecting everything just to be wonderful because you tell people about Jesus, it ain't going to happen. Some people are going to question, really, can you tell me more about this? Or, or what makes you believe this is really true? Some people are going to challenge your faith. Well, doesn't everybody get to go to heaven? How can a loving God send people to hell? How do you know you're right? But people are genuinely questioning, wanting to know about this Jesus. And that's going to happen too. And believe it or not, there are people who are going to put their faith in Jesus. And you might do better than you really think you're going to do because some people have the gift of evangelism. And they're going to just naturally be able, God's going to use them in a way that he has not used me to just bring people to the Lord. Have you tried? But remember, it's not your job to save anybody. It's not your job to draw people. It's not your job to convict people. It's just your job to share with people with Jesus. Here's, here's a, a simple little concern for the lost chart that I, I came up with. And I, just think about your concern for the lost. The people that you, you go to work with, you go to school with, the people that you interact with through your neighborhood or whatever. How much concern do you have for the lost? And you're not going to fill out a form. You're not raising your hand or anything like that. So just be as honest in your mind as you can possibly be. I'm not going to make you do anything if you say my concern is zero. I'm going to give you some secret private thing that you can do. Okay? So I'm not going to make you 
come forward or stand up. So I just really want you to be as, as honest as you really can be. Zero says, I really don't care. I mean, not like you're thinking that in your mind, but I'm not talking to people about Jesus. I'm not praying for people. I'm not doing anything. I really don't care about the loss. You know, I walk out the door and I see people at the game or at whatever, and I'm just, hey, we're friends. And that's all that comes to mind. That's all the concern I have. Or we're going to move it down the line to about five and say, uh, I'm willing to pray for those people. Now, I'm, I'm, that one, you know, you can argue with a little bit because like the people in Africa, you're not going to go to Africa, right? So all you can do is pray for them. So sometimes that five actually falls in the 10 line. But when you're, when you're living in Plumna or Baker and you have an opportunity to talk to somebody or reach into their life, but all you're willing to do is pray for them, that's why I put that in the middle point, which is better than nothing. Right? Or are you the kind of person who, I'm going to pick on Jason, I told him on Thursday night I was going to do this, who, who's a number 10, at least at times, uh, because when we had neighbors move in, whose idea was it to go over there and invite them to church, to tell them about the community, to reach in, get involved in people's lives? It was Jason's idea to do that. So I say in that, sense, in that situation, Jason had a 10 concern for the lost because he didn't just say, wow, there's new people or wow, let's pray for those people. He said, let's go meet those people. Let's try to get involved in their lives. I was talking to Jerry, who was in the hospital. You know, he's got some pretty major surgery thing going on. And what is Jerry doing? He's sharing his faith with the doctors. You know, he said one guy was really there. Were, one guy was really interested. You know, another guy you can tell with his eyes that glaze over, like, okay, I really don't care what you're telling me. But Jerry had concern for the lost. He's telling them about Jesus. So just think about it. Where is your concern for the lost? Where would you like it to be? Are you content with it about a two? Would you like it to be a nine, even though it's scary? Because it's scary. When, you, when you're going to get involved in people's lives, it is scary because you don't know how they're going to respond. Are they going to laugh? Are they going to make fun of me? Or are they going to accept this message?